quite often are diversified into pictures, films, mm. like uh, Magical Mystery 2 and, of course, mm. Broad Street. Mm. Now, the critical failure of Broad Street... Had Both it, of them, and Magical and Mystery 2, too. Yeah. Does that really bother you? Yeah. On what level does it bother you? The human level? You know, nobody likes to have their wrist slapped, you know. Nobody likes it. You don't like it at school, when you get exam results and you haven't done as well as you thought you had. Um, and it's the same, you know, you, you think you're doing something good and you put everything into it and you don't get it right. So nobody likes to be told they don't get it right. Uh, in fact, uh, what's happened with Magical Mystery Tour, I think, is that now it's got a lot of people who like it, whereas what happened was it actually came out on, I think it was Boxing Day or Christmas Day, and it was what I call the Bruce Forsyth slot. You know, it should have been, hello viewers, how are we? Happy Christmas, had your Christmas pud? It was that slot, and it was all, walrus. You know, it was just not what the, the majority of those 20 million viewers expected. Um, so it, it got kind of slammed, I think, from that kind of angle. But uh, you won't find any other footage of John Lennon singing, I'm the walrus. I mean, I think that's a great season. Welcome to episode 230 of Two Legs, a Paul McCartney podcast. We are a solo Paul McCartney talk show, but we're going to do a little Beatles Paul today. As you can see, we have a special guest. But but first, I'm Tom Hunyadi. You may know me from uh, my other show, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. And I'm joined by my partner in crime. He's my backwards traveler. He is Andy Nichols. Andy, my friend. Good yeah. evening, Thomas, and uh, looking forward to a uh, nice discussion tonight with somebody that's been on one of your shows previously, but I've not met yet, and, uh, and looking yeah. forward to talking to him. Yeah, we, we've, uh, my other show, Talk More Talk, we did have uh, our, our guest on, and I'm going to introduce him now. He's uh, Steve Amadio, and he is the author of The Beatles on the Film, Act Naturally, a book um Dealing with all things Beatle films, not just the films, but also the the culture, the 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 scene of the time. I mean, the the, the drugs that influenced them, the movies that influenced them. You know, all the things going on during those years of of their films. And Steve, how how are you? Welcome to the show, and um, glad glad we finally got you on to talk about this book. Act naturally. It's great to be here uh, with you, Tom. Nice to finally meet you, Andy. And uh, yeah, the book is, it's actually Act Naturally, The Beatles on Film. And okay. It's a little confusing the way they did the cover. I, I would not have done it right. the way that they did it because it, it is at the top, The yeah. Beatles. Yeah. yeah, right. So, uh, you know, what, what can you do? <laughs> but, <laughs> right. So when we were talking about getting you on, we were talking about, okay, well, what can you know, we talk about? Obviously, we want to try to make it Paul-centric. And it was just like, light bulb, hello. Magical Mystery Tour. So that's what we're going to uh, talk about today. But but first, Steve, talk about putting this book together. Because like I said, I mean, it's just not about the films, really. It's 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 about the, that, that time, right? And is that really what you wanted to also, you know, bring to the book? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, from a hard day's night to let it be, 
it that's almost the entire history of the Beatles, say, since Ringo joined the group. You know, so it covers, you know, it really covers a great deal of their time together. Obviously, some of the early albums had come out before A Hard Day's Night. So, I mean, yeah, that was part of it. But, I mean, the main impetus was just there has not been a book on all the films in a long time. You know, there's been some really good books, and there's been some books that deal with an individual film. There's been many, right. for example, right. on A Hard Night. But I just felt that at this point there's been reissues of all the films pretty much except for Let It Be on DVD and Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, the soundtrack albums have been reissued on CD and vinyl. And with the Get Back series, which was just kind of happening as the project was taking off, which was, you know, very serendipitous, uh, it just it just felt right. And I wanted to add a lot of context. And I wanted to be a lot about, you know, the music that they were making, what other music was there, you know, a lot about the British films of the 60s. And, and culture, like you said, you know, how was the culture influencing them i mean with the magical mystery tour yellow submarine section you know i really a lot of context in this sort of psychedelic culture you know what's happening with that the many layers of the onion so to speak Mm. of that (laughs) you know mostly in london and san francisco so uh so yeah i mean that was that was kind of that was kind of the idea The, the the book itself, you know, when we're talking, you know, again, each individual film, um, was there a lot to go on? You, you mentioned there was books in the past that dealt with the films. Talk about the, you know, obviously now we've you've, you've got so many tools at your fingertips to use. So was it a little bit more easier maybe than, than past writers had uh, dealing with this film? Just talk about the, the writing process and, and the research process. I mean, yeah. I mean, I started out when I did this project, you know, like you guys, I'm a, I'm a collector of Beatles stuff. And I probably had about 180 Beatle books when I started out the project. And then as I went along, I kept sort of adding, I'm probably closer to, you know, 250 now, which I know that sounds insane. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, there are certain books that are like, no matter what, when you're writing about the Beatles, they become the, the main books, particularly for chronologies. You know, like obviously Mark Lewison's recording sessions. You know, I think the Barry Miles books, you know, have a lot of great sort of chronology. Uh, the John C. Wynn books, you know, are great in terms of chronology. And then there's been there's been some books on the films, obviously, and I mentioned them. I, I do a very extensive, as you know, sort of, you know, preamble in the sort of introduction about a lot of the books that I use specific mm-hmm. to various parts of the book. So, yeah, it becomes, you know, significant, uh, you know, certain books. Um, you know, there's books on the unreleased, you know, uh, Beatles music and films, you know. Uh, but then there's so many other books that you end up using, you know, whatever right. they biographies or histories, you know, books about, you know, NEMS, about Apple, um, you know, the, the different, you know, memoirs, autobiographies you know, cultural histories. I mean, there's a very extensive, again, as you know, a very extensive bibliography at the end of the book. But I do in the front, you know, say, hey, these are sort of the main books that I dealt with almost daily in, in terms of, you know, how I wrote and more more researching the book. I mean, I'm a journalist, so research is, is sort of the main thing. Right. 
Yeah, I mean it is, and you know all those books in one way can can help. I mean, you you got like something like uh, Zapple or something by Barry Miles. I mean, there there's you know you know the, the underground scene which which may came and and helped for you know to under kind of understand what they're doing with you know Magical Mystery Tour. You know, there's so many different books out there that could um, that can you know tie into to these of uh, you know a book on the films. So definitely, you know, so thank God we've got all these books. You know, one way or the other, you know. So, but, um, you know, when you get to Magical Mystery Tour, let's say, I mean, obviously we, we've got, you know, we've got the DVD that came out, you know, what, 10 years ago now, as it was. 2014 or 2012. You know, it was a 12 or something like that. Really? Was it that you long? Know, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you got a, you know, you've, you got a commentary track on there. You, from, from Paul, you, you know, you, you've got, um, you know, other talking heads, you know, in there. Um, but, but how much, you know, was out there? you know, for Magical Mystery Tour besides that DVD? I mean, obviously, you know, you've got books on there as well, but when when it comes to, like, shooting schedule and, and you know, and hotels that they stayed at and, you know, and stuff like that, just talk about, you know, you know, digging into the Magical Mystery Tour research. Well, again, I mean, with the chronology, you know, I, I really relied a lot on Mark Lewison, on Barry Miles, on John C. Wynn, um, on any books that are sort of diaries or, or yeah, chronology. Lewison, Lewison's book is great because that's only the recording session. So any gap in time in a recording session around that time would have been about the, you know, they're okay. Now they're probably filming because, right. Which is a great way to just kind of deduce and figure out where to go next. Right. But I, I guess I forgot one of the book I, I really should mention is, you know, there is the other Lewison book, which is like the day by day book. Yeah. Which mm. every, so that book really almost was even, really more significant in terms of Mark's books. And of course, Mark did a book on a hard day's night. So that mm. for that section was very helpful. You know, I think that Tony Barrow did a book, I believe on um, mm. magical mystery tour. And then Tony Bramwell, um, you know, he was involved a lot with the visual side of what the Beatles did. So his book, you know, was also very helpful. And I interviewed him. I had interviewed him for my previous Beatles book also. So, you know, he was very helpful. But I mean, I really use a, a lot of different sources. And it's, you know, I could spend a day and I'm, I'm just dealing with one source. So I could spend a day where I'm dealing with four different books or three different articles or two different right. Blu-rays. I mean, you know, I always try to, as a journalist, to try to get more than one source on something. You know, you right. want to have multiple sources because, you know, as you know, some of these books, as good as they are and as accurate as they are, over the years, sometimes incorrect information gets picked up and repeated, and it becomes sort of gospel. Yep. You know, I mean, that's what's so great about Mark Lewison's books. I mean, he starts from the ground up with, you know, real hardcore research. And it's almost like he's not even looking at anything else. And it's almost like he's trying to block out his memory, you know, and just go on on real real facts. He is a he is a true journalist historian. I mean, you know, he's like he's like Robert Caro or someone like that. I mean, the level of you know of, of diligence. I mean, you know, we all look to him. I think he is, you know, any of us who 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 try to write these books, you know, Mark is really. You know, the, you know, I mean, Mark, of course, you know, Bruce, yeah. Spock, 
I think Ken Warmack now. Warmack, yeah. You know, important uh, in, in terms of what he's doing. He, he's really creating a body of, a real large body of work. You know, obviously the McCartney, as you folks know better than anybody, right. the McCartney bio, the first yeah. bio, and that is definitive. You know, there's no question about it. So, um, you know, these are the folks that inspire me. And, you know, and, and like the two of you, fortunately, I've been able to get to know some of these folks through the years. And they're wonderful people, too, as you know. <laughs> yeah, right. No, absolutely. And, you know, in Ken's book uh, right here, Living the, the Beatles Legend, with the, you know, with the Mel Evans. I mean, yeah, there was there was some good information in there about you know, with Mel involving Magical Mystery Tour, so it was. Up uh, to that part, yeah. Then, I just started yeah. reading it. I'm, I'm up to maybe page seventy. Um, okay. But I'm just, I'm just loving it. That's, I've, that's my Christmas gift. I feel like. Yeah. I, I'm that book. I don't need anything else for Christmas. No, I'm reading. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tremendous read so far. I'm about a hundred and right. some odd pages into it myself. Oh. Mm. Fantastic book so far. Right. Um, at this, let's talk a little bit again, you know, you, you put in, um, at the beginning of the magical mystery tour chapter, the pretty much the history of, of acid, because again, that was their pretty much their drug of, of choice. And I've always seen my favorite interview of Paul's of any point in time is his 1967 backyard interview with him talking to, uh, you know, the press about, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, he, he's taken acid or not, but, uh, um, you know, talk about that. Was that important because of the fact that, I mean, again, I mean, that's one that was part of the culture, right? That was a big part of the summer of love. And um, just talk about that for a minute. You know, I mean, you know, what is happening is all across the culture, whether it's music or movies or art, photography, dance, design. I mean, what, whatever it is, is all being influenced by whatever this psychedelic experience is. And I mean, obviously the Beatles had already been smoking marijuana or as the Ruddles put it, the pleasures of tea. So, you know, I mean, it's also, it's, it's a psychedelic substance. And so, right. you know, LSD is, is the sort of the, now the sort of the next phase. And, you know, when I talk about this, I'm not, I'm not, I don't condone it, but I'm, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just, I approach it as a journalist and so I talked about the people who are central to it, you know, people like, you know, Ugly. Dr. Leary, for example, you know, and there was many other folks and, you know, Owsley and Owsley, yes. Oh, and talk about it as, and the music, psychedelic music, basically what it is, is it is trying to replicate through music, whatever the psychedelic experience is. And, you know, some argue that you can have these experiences you know, without drugs, you know, uh, you know, I remember once I, I saw an interview, I mentioned this on another interview I did. There was an interview with Jerry Garcia that Dennis Elsis did, who's on the Beatles channel. I'm in New York. He's a famous DJ Lovely. here. NEW. Right. The, the, the greatest FM radio station ever, probably WNEW FM. That's right. And so he asked Jerry Garcia, and this is a television interview. He said, do you need to be on drugs to listen to the music of the Grateful Dead? You know, and he asked with a very sort of straight face, you know, and I don't remember what Jerry's amazing answer was, but I thought, you know, once he asked the question, my retort would have been, well, it wouldn't hurt, you know? So, um, you know, I, 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 I try to approach this almost clinically, like as a, as a historian, as a journalist, not as somebody 
who is, you know, advocating, say. And I just kind of put it out there how significant it is, you know, at this time. And, and, it, and it becomes the situation more of how the culture influences the Beatles and the Beatles influence the culture and how London is part of the psychedelic scene very much. I think people automatically think, oh, San Francisco, you know, that's the place where it's kind of all happening with Owsley and Ken Kesey and all the psychedelic bands. But I mean, the psychedelic music scene is very much happening in, in London with, with the Beatles, with Pink Floyd, with Soft Machine, with, you know, any number of groups. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Procol Harum, you could argue, you know, fit into that to some degree. You know, Traffic, I mean, you know, Traffic were supposed to be in Magical Mystery Tour. If you have that box set yeah, with Blu-ray and the DVD and the, the EP and the booklet on the extras, they have the clip of Traffic. Um, who right. were supposed to be in Magical Mystery Tour, by the way, doing a song called Here We Go Around the Mulberry Bush, which they did do that song in a movie of the same title, and that was written by Hunter Davies. So mm -hmm. interesting little sort of tidbit there. I don't remember if he wrote the script and the book that it was based on or just wrote the book, but um, interesting. And in that movie, Traffic is in that, and so is the Spencer Davis group, which is obviously right. the that Steve Winman was in before right. he formed Traffic. Traffic, wow. Right. Yeah. How familiar with the cinema of the uh, the sixties, um, you know, cinema in the in in London, the UK? How familiar were, were you with that prior to uh, writing the book? I mean, I'm I'm always the kind of person who always has been a fan of. 60s british movies i mean i'm a huge james bond fan i love and i love spy movies you know michael Caine is like you know is god to me you know <laughs> so that period for me is very rich in terms of the directors and the actors i mean you know you've got you know sean connery you've got peter sellers you know julie christie you know peter finch i mean the, the list of actors is endless you know, Kubrick, who is an American, you know, he's making his films in England. That's right. where he's living yeah. and where he's making his films, you know. Blow Up gets made there yeah. by, you know, Antonioni, who is Italian. I mean, he knows London is where it's at. And that's why he goes to England to make Blow Up, you know, which some people feel may be the most representative film of the 60s. I mean, we could we could argue that one way or another you know richard lester an american living in london you know so this is a rich period for me you know i love the spy spoof films which is mm. kind of help is you know so um it, it's it, I, I went to london over the summer you know which was which was amazing and i got to go to abbey road studios and was inside studio two in the control room i was there for hours I mean, so oh. this is Mecca to me, you know, I mean, because of the Beatles and Bond, you know, London and England in, in the mid 60s is this really the center of the universe, you know, culturally speaking, you know, music, film, you right. know, TV, art, photography, you know, with David Bailey and, you know, Terry O'Neill. And I mean, art with, you know, Bridget Riley and David Hockney, you know, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. It's an ex extraordinary time. You know, to be the, you know, the Indica Book Gallery, you know, mm. uh, you know, the, the Beats kind of had their coming out 
in, in that part of the world in, in England later. I mean, the Beats were around since the 50s, you know, Allen Ginsberg and, and people like right. that. Right. All right. So getting to uh, Magical Mystery Tour, uh, for, for the younger fans or, or people that just don't know, what is the Magical Mystery Tour? Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I've sort of come to kind of understand is very much like Sergeant Pepper, you know, Magical Mystery Tour is this psychedelic thing, but it's also a throwback. There's also parts right. of it that are a throwback to an earlier time. And in England, to go on these mystery tours, these coach rides, you know, getting everybody together in the summer and, you know, going out to the country or down to the beach and, you know, singing the old songs and having a pint is a thing. So it's the Beatles taking that, but psychedelicizing it, so to speak, you know, right. and this kind of let's just put on a show. Let's just, you know, we, here's the idea and let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. And Paul created his little pie chart to kind of give a yep. sense of what it was going to be. And um, it's, 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 it's the freewheeling Beatles <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> And all the guys would do that. They would go to Blackpool Lights. They would do, yeah, that's what they would do. Yes. Right. And we'll we'll get to that pie chart for a minute in a second here. But but starting it off, I mean, okay, so so Paul he goes to Denver or U.S. in in April of '67. Jane's 21st birthday is is quickly approaching. She's in Denver reciting the what the Romeo and Juliet play. They're doing a tour of that. Uh, Mel is traveling with uh, with Paul, and um, you know, on the way back, I mean, that's when Paul is that when Paul has this idea. I mean, is on the plane on, on the plane ride back, um, and then that's where he comes up with this pie chart. Right, and that's it was as simple as that. I mean, it's 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 definitely Paul's show. There's no question about it. I mean, he wanted to right. do it, and um, you know, right. he came up with the initial concept. I mean, I'm sure they had been toying around with. What's the next movie going to be? You know, right. what do, we to do? what songs do we already have? I mean, you know, obviously the, the plane ride and the pie chart is the light bulb moment, but I'm sure there was some, you know, previous kind of thought. And uh, I'm not going to get into people's heads. I know people love <laughs> to play the parlor game of getting into the head of particularly Paul and John and their relationship. But um, right. as simple as that. And you know, I think it was a question, too, of them sort of resting control of movie making away from the professionals, away from Richard Lester and United Artists and Walter Shenson. And not that they not that they didn't like those people or whatever the case may be. But I think they just felt like, you know, again, this is part of the whole sort of psychedelic thing of we can do whatever we want. I mean, th this is after Pepper. Right. So they are the kings of the world. And after Brian Epstein's passing as well. But but they had but, but the idea was there before Brian died. So yes, right. but they yeah. executed it without Brian. I mean, I think Brian would have been involved, and you know he was on board with it because that's what they wanted to do. But I mean, he right. would have been more helpful in terms of you know right. hotels and and getting exactly, people around. Because, there's food right. for people, and you know. Right, because you write in your book. I mean, here they are; they're the biggest band in the world, but yet they can't get into a hotel or they can't get into a film studio because they got they didn't book it. <laughs> you know, they just think they're going to show up. Hey, we're the Beatles. You know, we're, we're we've been pampered for the last uh, you know five years. You know, what do you mean we can't get into your film studio? 
Right. Exactly. It's exactly right. the point. And, and that's why they filmed at the airplane hangar. The, the, right. the big your mother should know because they thought they were just going to walk into Twickenham, but it was booked. And so that right. hangar became, you know, it, you know, that's a close approximation to, you know, what a big soundstage looks like, you know? So, right. uh, I, I, you know, s some of what the magic is of the, of the sixties and the Beatles is this whole, just what do we think? And let's just do it. You know, now everything right. is focus groups and, you know, <laughs> everybody's sitting around and, you know, CGI and, and everything yeah. is, you know, it, it, everything is so premeditated, you know, it's so c carefully controlled, you know, right. the images are so carefully controlled and budgets are so huge to make mm -hmm. records, to make movies. And I oh, still, yeah. you know. Yeah. Let's get back to this pie chart because I mean, this is the script for the most part. This is, or the working script. Obviously, there is no script. I mean, it's it relies heavily on. Go ahead. It, no, I'm just. I was just going to say. I mean, to interrupt. I mean, it's it's an outline, is what it is. Right. It's an outline. I mean, it, they work. They do rely heavily on improvisation. Um. I mean, but but a lot of it's here that ends up in the film, right? I mean, you've got a dream sequence. You've got a stripper in a band. You've you've got a marathon, right? So I mean, a lot of that. What what what? You know, whatever ideas were coming in through his and Mel's head. I mean, because I think Mel is credited as a co-writer um, on, on, on this, um, or at least that's what was written in, in Womack's book. Um, or I think you're, I mean, I'm confused now. <laughs> I'm reading too much about Mel. Yeah. I don't remember too what much, Mel's exact Gross. credits were, but I think Mel did have yeah. some, some, some serious credits for it. And I mean, at this point, he had been around for a long time and he was getting more and more involved. So, yeah. Right. And Neil Aspinall, I mean, they, you know, it, that was one of the great things where, you know, whoever was kind of around like, oh, you have an idea or oh, you want right. to get involved or, you know, I mean, you know, one of the things, and, and maybe I'm crazy and I'm making this up, but I'm pretty sure somewhere along the way, my research turned up that on, I don't know what track it is, or, or if it's on one of the soundtrack albums, that Neil Aspinall was playing sitar, you know, not the only sitar, but, um, right. you know, I mean, Jeez. they become and there's always been the debate you know who is the fifth beetle i think there are right. many fifth beetles many. you know with brian and george being at the top of the list george martin and brian epstein right you know but right. but me now were so integral to everything that was happening you know they had been there neil especially had been there you know from the from the, from the start right well thanks to you know the diaries that that ken womack was able to put in his book you know, we've got here that uh, the tentative title was Roll In for the Mystery Tour, which was then written by um, uh, Mel Evans. Right. So, but, but, uh, which was pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, but, you know, the whole thing right there, and then that's also in the, uh, the, the documentary too, is Ringo's holding up a piece of paper with a circle in there. It's like, you know, Paul says, here's the idea. And he goes, and we said, great. Oh, <laughs> it's of just, course. <laughs> Right. But then Paul, then also in the anthology, he's like saying, you know, he's pretty much saying, well, this was a time of ideas, you know. So, I mean, obviously they're just, you know, having fun. They're doing something. 67 is just so busy for them, uh, you know, with in the recording studio, because not only are they doing this, but they're also, re you know, Yellow Submarine is, is kind of in development at this point in, in time, too, too, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, in the works. So they're not only they're they filming and, and, and doing the Yellow Submarine film, but they're also... Uh, recording all of the music to go with this as well. So, um, it's an interesting time. 
that's one of the things that I discovered that, you know, in my research is there becomes a point and it's probably 67 where it starts, where they're involved in so many different things at once. You know, there's so right. many projects on the table that are happening. And, you know, as, as psychedelic as everything was, they were quite ambitious and quite productive in this period. I mean, in, right. you know, 68, they record a double album, you know, right. So, so yeah. this, whole, this whole post post revolver period, let's, let's call it that once they get off mm -hmm. the road and they, you know, they they finish revolver. I mean, it is just kind of extraordinary. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they did come off the road, that they weren't right. doing, they weren't showing up at every radio station to do an interview and every TV studio to do an appearance, to plug a single or to plug an album or an EP or right. a whatever. And they had the time to do this stuff, to be creative yeah. and to stretch their minds a little bit and, yeah. you know, right. kind of just see where things went, even though, you know, it, it may not have been always been the, the rest best direction. Yeah. Right. And, and obviously the elephant in the room is, you know, Magical Mystery Tour was originally shown on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, right. in, in black and white. And people had television screens the size of laptops and, you know, not very good reception. There was no cable back right. then. There was no internet. Right. scare anybody by saying that, you know. But, I mean, so obviously it was shown a little bit later on one of the color BBC channels. And some people, right. you know, kind of got it a and little And they get bit. it. Right. But yeah. I think over it's the too years, late then, though. Right. For the initial reception, which they had a kind of. Right. Plan. But I mean, right. over the years, it's become this. It, it's it's one of those cult movies of the 60s. One of those cult. It is. This, right. It's a snapshot of its time. And if you look at it that way, you know, I, I, I know one of the, I know, I know I love Paul's, you know, response to it, too. It's like, well, people like Spielberg have said, you know, right. <laughs> that this was the this is the film they, they were shown in film school that really influenced their film style, you know, you know you, take that with true. a grain of salt. I mean, you know, Magical Mystery Tour comes out before Easy Rider. So, right. it, yes. you know, whatever, see, I think what it's more, how it's more influential, other than it being one of these underground cult films that in the 70s, most of us here in America first saw at those midnight movie screenings, right. is right. you have all these set pieces that are almost like a precursor to music videos. But they had already right. been doing, you know, these promotional clips. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah, so you know, it has to go. And paperback writer and everything. Right. Writer. Right. Michael Lindsay Hogg directed yeah. them. Right. Yeah. So right. that's um, where it's more influential in some ways, I right. think. One thing I learned in your book that I didn't realize was this. I mean, you could technically say that Magical Mystery Tour is Apple's first project, right? Because, you know, they create this this new company for to, to evade the tax issues. Um, let's see here. What do we got here? Uh... Technically, it was first, uh, they relieved the tax burden in April 67. They create, what, Beatles & Co. And then on November 17th, Beatles Limited, which was already a thing, becomes uh, Apple Music Limited, and then finally Apple Core. Right. Right. So, right. you so, know, so one of the, one of technically... The, I mean, right. I, think, I think on the Sgt. Pepper album, I mean, doesn't it say something about Apple in England, some of the first press... Or later so so it's almost so actually it's before magical mystery tour but in, but when right. they made sergeant pepper it wasn't it wasn't going to be an apple project whatever that even means 
because the albums were still put out by EMI, you know, through Parlophone. Yeah. You know, right. so the films were still coming out, you know, through United Artists. So right. you know, whatever, you know, Apple is like almost this vanity label thing. I mean, where it becomes right. significant where Apple, and we don't want to have a whole Apple thing, is when they put out other artists, when they sign other artists, or later on when Apple will very specifically make films, you know, you know, and some of those were, you know, under the direction or the, the, the business person was actually Alan Klein, who already was right. in making films. He was already involved. And I get into that. I talk about Alan's background right. in, in the film world, that he wasn't just a music, you know, guy. Um, right. You know, so there's all, all of that. And every time I do this, I know what I, sometimes when I'm answering questions, I'm condensing, you know, 20 or 30 pages of. <laughs> pages of, of right. <laughs> that they can understand. To write. So, you know, I, 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 I feel like I gloss over it sometimes. So I'll, I'll, right. I'll apologize for that. <laughs> in no advance, worries. encourage people to read the book. <laughs> right there, you go. I mean, this was never going to be part of the three picture deal with uh, United Artists. When did this uh, about come to be a um, or, or, or BBC? I mean, this after the filming was done. I think that's when they finally went to uh, someone at BBC, hey, like, hey, look, we got this. You know, can we can we get it on your uh, on your station? I mean, I think originally, and, and again, I, 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 sometimes I forget the chronology in my book, but I believe it was NBC in America was going to show it. And when they got a sniff of what this was, they were like, you know, forget it. This is just not, yeah. we don't care if it's Beatles. I wonder if they would have shown it in black and white. You know, I mean, I think in America, I think in terms of what kind of televisions people had in their homes, they were bigger yeah. or people probably had color. I believe color came you know, way before 19, 1967, mm -hmm. if I'm right, this is the end of 1967, you know, whenever, you know, I don't know if we, we, any of you know, but the, um, what is it? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, that, mm -hmm. that Christmas cartoon, whatever, yeah. whenever that came out, color television was around in America. Which so whatever, like for that one, and that's before 67 for sure. Oh yeah. I think that was right. 60s. Right. No, was it fifties or early sixties? I think early 60s. 60s. yeah, yeah, early fifties. Yeah. yeah, the first yeah. Rudolph. Yeah. But yeah, well, I'm interested yeah. in how, how America would have perceived Magical Mystery Tour. I think I right. think they wouldn't have they wouldn't have hated it as much as the UK. Oh well, well, no, I, think, I mean, I think what what the problem was was showing it on Boxing Day, when mistake, people right? want you know you know nice warm-hearted grandma you know unwrapping christmas presents yeah you know if they show it at a different time in america and all the kids know well the beatles are going to be on you know and right. all the kids in san francisco are going to tune in you know then you know maybe maybe it's different you know so um you know there's a, we, we play this game all the time of what if you know right <laughs> with the yeah. Beatles, we're always kind of reordering the history you know so yeah. uh, but I think, you know, when you watch it now, I think it is, it, it is, you see them, you know, I, I went to a, this number of years ago, a, a local theater did like a, a once a month, they do like music movies or music videos all night. And they did a night of all Beatle clips. And, and when the scene from a ma magical mystery tour of Blue Jay Way comes on, you literally hear the audience go, oh. It's like this, oh my God, you know, it's like this moment of like, wow, you yeah. know, 
So I think that the, it's all, you know, perception is reality. I think perception has changed very much. And I mean, people now in their homes, I mean, I know I have, you know, the big screen TV with the 5.1 sound system. And so if you're, if you're watching and listening that way, I think it's, it's certainly, it's certainly in, in the comfort of your own home, I, you know, with a few of your friends, I think you can have a very different experience, you know? Yeah, then right. even on a small twenty-something-inch TV. I mean, you've <coughs> the uh, the home theater and everything. The technology has improved to enjoy something like this that even twenty years ago, or thirty years ago, you couldn't enjoy as much now that you can. Right, even a setup oh, that's like true. That. Right. Um, after Brian's death, um, September first, Paul arranges a meeting with uh, with the Beatles to discuss Magical Mystery Tour. Um, George wants to go to uh, India. I mean, he, you know, with with with. John and Ringo, they're on board with this too, but it's Paul that convinces them, like, no, Magical Mystery Tour is what we should be doing uh, right now. So obviously then the uh, they agree, and uh, they postpone that trip to, to 68, as, as we know. But, uh, but Paul, I mean, just seems to be, you know, really pushing these ideas or pushing this, push, pushing this film uh, really hard at the time. But, you know... When you watch the movie, I mean, besides Paul and then a couple of clip things with John, I mean, the other two, I mean, I mean, is Ringo really into it? I mean, even though he's kind of like the meet the lead character, you know, John, I mean, George, I mean, besides Blue Jay Way, you know, and, and the strip uh, tease, you know, he doesn't really seem like, I mean, obviously, I think his head's more in, into uh, the Maharishi at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think they're all in a different place. Obviously, Paul is driving it. I think John's kind of going along and actually getting involved in writing up some ideas and, you know, is enjoying having fun and being silly and, you know, being John. I think Ringo is, is sort of like whatever everybody else wants to do. Yeah. And I think right. George for a while now has been sort of like this gradually pulling away that, you know, he wants to, he wants to explore, he wants to go inside, you know, and right. he's, you know, he's with Patty Boyd right now. And, you know, at, you know, he's, he's, you know, kind of wanting to be more of a contributor to the group as a songwriter. So he's always constantly in this kind of mode of, you know, of, of moving away where Paul, you know, senses right away as soon as, as soon as Brian dies. That's what I was going to say. It's Paul, that was, once that happens, Paul, that Paul's panic weighed in and he was like, look, we're going to go all in on this and I'm going to guide this band through this. And I don't really know what it's going to be, but we're just going to fly by the seat of our pants, figure it out. And um, because to think about the alternative without a father figure like Brian was very traumatic for them and Paul too, on a lot of levels. So that's kind of why he was just like, this is what we're doing. And they did it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Brian, Brian is gone. I mean, they're, they're getting a little bit older now. Um, you know, they're sort of like they've they, they've been to the top of the mountain. Um, they're they're all living their own lives, too. I mean, they're growing up and, then, you know, girlfriends and wives and, and children and outside interests. And, you know, so, I mean, Paul is just is, is is just plugged into so much. I mean, he's into the Indica Book Gallery and, you know, mm -hmm. he's avant garde films and he's into going to the theater with Jane and I mean, he's just, he, he's, he's, I think ambitious comes across as a negative phrase. I just think he likes to be busy. And I just think he's this incredibly creative person 
who wants to be creative. He wants to constantly create. It's what yeah. I think he, he enjoys it. And I, I think here's the key is I think he sees the joy that it brings to other people. And I think he really loves that. I think it's a positive. He sees it as this positive force. I think you can still call it ambitious. It's still the same right. thing. Right. But I think it's been, I think sometimes that gets, I'm not saying between the three of us, but I'm saying sometimes with people that gets perceived almost negatively. Oh yeah. Yeah. They might, they might. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Paul, he's always doing. Yeah. Yeah. But he right. genuinely loves doing it all. Right. But I think part of it too is, you know, continuing that search for inspiration to be, you know, to continue to create, uh, you know, whether it's coming from avant-garde stuff or, you know, your, your, you know, your very commercial stuff. I mean, he's always looking for stuff to inspire him, uh, I would say, um, during that period. Um, so um, the bus, which I, I guess maybe should have got a credit of its own too, because I mean, that plays a big part. <laughs> You know, uh, in in the film, uh, you you right here. It's a, it was a 1959 60-seat British Bedford Vale uh, Panorama uh, Elite. Uh, they ended up painting a Magical Mystery Tour on it. So, I mean, in a way, I mean, it is pretty much. You know, even though Ringo might be the lead character, I mean, in a way, the bus is really actually, you know, the central uh, central part of the film. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think it was Ken Kesey who said, you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. I mean, you know, they're, they're taking that mystery ride, the old British right. seaside mystery drive, and they're mixing it with the Merry Pranksters, with the psychedelic school bus, with the word further misspelled on the front mm -hmm. rather than what the destination is. So again, there's this this yin yang thing that's going on that's that's really wonderful and i think that's one of the reasons why the beatles psychedelic period musically holds up so well where some other musical artists from that period the music does not hold up well because it's just all you're getting is psychedelia now some people love psychedelia it doesn't matter but i think that the way the beatles kind of mix the old and the new you know uh, and i mean that is that's got to do with the great songwriting and and the fact that their records are so well produced by George Martin at at, at EMI Studios. So, you know, it, it is it is interesting how the, it all comes about. But yeah, the bus is the bus is a main character. And I tried very hard to get the exact what bus is this? And it was right. very difficult. <laughs> and I, I keep waiting for somebody to come to me and say, well no, Steve, it wasn't a four fifty or whatever it is. It was a four fifty five or something. Okay. I'm still waiting for somebody to catch me that I didn't get it right, but maybe I maybe I did get it absolutely correct because that took a long time to try to. I almost got to a point where like, is this really exact? Because I I looked at drawings and I looked at web pages and and stuff because I wanted to know exactly where did this bus come from? Why this bus? You know. And you you give a little bit of trivia too, and I'll well uh, we'll I'll say ask it, and then we'll see if anybody can guess it and put it in the comments. What other film did this uh, did this bus appear in? Uh, this happened a couple years later. Um, I will say it is you know I don't know should I say who stars in the film or say sure. Just, uh, sure okay Michael Caine it's a Michael Caine film, and if you can guess uh, you know what film that is that this bus also appears, in, and then we'll we'll give you ten points for for whatever. <laughs> 
But yeah. uh, the filming mm-hmm. filming starts. Fil- filming starts uh, September 11th, right? Um, and right off the bat, they're discovering delays. Right, the bus is initially two hours late to begin with uh, that that day. Um, you know, everybody is there, but uh, then you know, your traffic and the press is just hounding them um, from the bit. And you can see clips on that on that Magical Mystery Tour um, uh, DVD as well of of them being you know bombarded by the press. It's kind of amazing that they were so open, like you can yes. photographs right. and outtakes where fans would just be mingling around and the Beatles were like, yeah, that's okay. You guys can hang out. You know, like there wasn't this insanity of Beatlemania where they were ripping their clothes off, you know? So imagine you're any of these people who, you know, knew where they were and went there and they were just hanging out and you could just kind of talk to them. I mean, that it's, it's just incredible. You know, mm. it's just, just to think that you could have that kind of access and proximity, you know, at this point, because they are still, you know, the kind of the biggest thing in the world, you know. <laughs> That's interesting. Let's, um, is that because the, they're growing, the, that audience, the UK, I mean, they're maturing with the Beatles. Like if they were to film this in the US, it might have been a completely different scene. Yes. Right. I oh, mean, totally. you're, you're probably still getting, you know, screaming screaming girls going out there if they're doing yeah so i mean as it's a whole different scene with, they went with out to the west country the to go do it right right but so, they but, completely but, people or the press and right you know. right yeah but uh i mean uh the the uh the bonzos their instruments were stolen <laughs> so it's just like it was like one thing after another uh during this um let's see here uh, going here, we got um, uh, where am I here? Uh, the Death Cab for Cutie scene, this film September uh, 18th. Um, that for first week, though, I mean, that was just kind of like all just ad lib stuff, improvising. Um, you know, the, when going to the uh, the army base, that was the following week, or was that the first, or the I'm sorry, the air base? I think that came later, I believe. I believe that came later, right. Get they had yeah, to, from yeah. At first, it was just like stops along the way at stops more, along the way, right? You know, more country, you know, out in the right. country or you know, close to the sea or whatever. It's just sort of getting getting out there and just getting started and you know, filming inside the bus and and the um that that magical mystery tour package that we talked about before. I mean, that right. the, there has a has a pretty good chronology. I mean, there was some pieces or or different days or whatever i couldn't necessarily match it up exactly with with some other sources so it got a little tricky but uh, you know you you try to do your best with these things there's always going to be who's going to say you know well at 3 30 on september i mean that's they didn't have a hand they ate a hot dog right (laughs) really have not much in the way of anybody coming to me and finding i I almost wish people would just because you know there's going to be things that you get wrong for whatever. Well, of course. And you want to get it right. You know, yeah. doing is a, it's a learning experience too. I mean, yes. I love right. to be a journalist, and I've written a lot about them. I've written, I wrote another book on them previous to this one. But as you do it, it's you're really learning, and you, you're increasing your knowledge of this thing that you're so interested in, which is this group, the Beatles. Right. Yeah. And um, learning, learning another, as you go too. Yeah. Right. Another important uh, date you got here, September twentieth. That's when I and the Walrus segment is uh, is, is is filmed. 
funny enough is then you write then you know the ruddles uh, that ruddles show i mean they actually filmed their cheese and onions they're not che- i'm sorry not cheese and was it cheese and onions am i thinking no, or am i thinking uh, no um which one of my song am i thinking um i'm having a senior moment double back uh, yeah i know yeah, no. But, oh no 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 no, no. I know what you mean it's the it's the i am the walrus spoof i know I right it's, it's, yeah, piggy yes, in the middle exactly. piggy in the middle piggy in the middle yeah yeah so they film <laughs> and and i'm watching magical mystery tour the other day and i'm i'm waiting for that plane to come up uh behind the behind the bobbies that are up on the on the wall but then i'm right oh no that's the ruddles when when, when that happens well, because every, they shot the, the beetles and the ruddles you, right. they're all indistinguishable if you think about it true right because they they shot that uh they that scene at the very same spot that the beatles filmed uh, i am the right. walrus right. um <laughs> Yeah, uh, then they to also Paul, filmed to Paul's chagrin. Paul's chagrin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the next yeah. day they filmed most of uh Blue Jay Way, which is another favorite segment of mine. I I, I know a lot of pe- people crap on Blue Jay Way, but it's I, I dig it. I, love- I really dig that I dig that scene. I, I really think it's cool. He's just, you know, there and he you know, he draws up the uh you know, was it the the you know keyboards or whatever for that, you know, really cool scene. Um then we got uh, pretty much you got ten hours of foot ten hours of footage, and you got to try to bring it down to an hour film. I mean, they they take it to uh, Norman's Film Productions in London. Um, they think it's only going to take what one a week, one or two weeks to uh, to right. bring this down. It ended up taking eleven weeks, and obviously they still had more stuff to film as 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 well. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, and they had a lot of help, as I de- as I detail in the book, not to make a joke. And, you know, yeah. it, and, and that's, I think, how it gets down to, you know, basically 45 minutes or 53 minutes or whatever it is. Right. But I think the sense is, you know, do we really have a feature-length film here? Yeah. And I think Fuller right. sort of say, well, maybe not. And, you know, it doesn't have to be 90 minutes or 80 or 70 minutes, you know. Hey, so then hey. I think they're probably thinking, well, you know, maybe we can maybe we can show this on television. Maybe this is a television show. You know, I know what the running time of the film is without the musical numbers in it, Steve. I'm curious if you if you know that number off the top. Of your I, head. I don't think I ever I ever really sat down and tried to figure that out. I wonder what that. I wonder if it's like 25 minutes or something. You know, I mean, yeah. supposedly the, the the musical numbers are supposed to be part of the narrative that tells the story. True. So. Right. So, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, you could probably teach a whole class on Magical Mystery Tour, I think. it's Oh, you know, probably. It is, it is, there's there's a lot to unpack with it, you know, and obviously some of it can be a little negative. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah. The, um, one of my favorite segments is the first, you know, true, you know, song, I guess, of the, of the, of the, of the show. Um, so you got your, um. Uh, Paul, um, they fly to uh, Paul with Mel and, and the cameraman Audrey Dewar. They fly to uh, Nice, France, to film the the Fool on the Hill uh, sequence. Uh, what I, I'm for me personally, that's one of my favorites. I mean, Andy, I mean, what do you think about that segment? Oh, that's that's a definite highlight, and I enjoy Paul's summary of that thing, talking about how it was just mm-hmm. him and some friends doing it. It wasn't a Beatle project, you know. They just right. went to France and did it and um, to film it. It wasn't exactly a group thing as he talks about it in the anthology. Um, certainly a highlight with the sunset and everything. Just shot so well. 
Paul with the coat on and everything and the hair. It, I mean, certainly right. than him just, you know, frolicking and running around. It, it, it certainly is of the era and uh, definitely one of the highlights of the film. I mean, that and I Am the Walrus for me. And your mother should know. I, I just love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you, you get, like, little hints of, like, like solo stuff, too. I mean, obviously, yeah. Blue Jay Way, you know, is, is kind of mostly, for the most part, George, until you get to that bit at the end where they're in the backyard. Um, and then Paul with Fool, you know. Um, with Fool on the Hill. Yeah, I mean, John, I mean, doing the, the whole spaghetti, I mean, that was his dream. I mean, that that was, again, that's kind of like a little solo uh, bit as well. The one thing I really never really got was maybe just because there, it's only two segments is the whole wizard thing uh, just really didn't seem to make much sense to me. Four or um, five wizards? Yeah, or five wizards, right, with Mel <laughs> in there. Yeah. But uh, that's like this is like the segment. I don't know if they filmed more of that or not. And they just decided not to use it. But but Steve, I don't know what you think about the. What do you think about the the wizard stuff in there? It just doesn't, you know. Yeah. Make sense. I mean, how much sense it makes, I don't really know. But there is something kind of cool about seeing them dressed the way they are, and you know, right. there's the there's some fun stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And so, you know, I do like that aspect of it. And it's so short, it just kind of comes and goes. I mean, I think the scene that's, that's it, uh, not that it's similar, but a scene that works better is the scene with Victor Spinetti, you know. Oh, that, yeah. You know, yes. that, works, that works so much better. You know, because right. Victor is just, is just so amazing. Everybody loves Victor Spinetti. <laughs> Right, and then that segment was was filmed with Paul. You know, again, you know, Paul just taking on a lot of stuff, you know, the behind the scenes. I mean, he it's, it was him that looked through the spotlight to try to find, you know, some of the characters that that are that are in uh, the film. It's it's Paul that stays over with the cameraman, saying, "Okay, well, we're going to do this, you know, the next day," or you know, talking to uh, the people that are in the film and what they're going to film the following day. So it's really, you know, even though Paul says he doesn't want to take all the credit for it. He pretty much has to take the credit for it because to. you know, you know, it I is his, to, it is his direction. It is. I just wanted to say you talk about Victor Spinetti. He's a nice link to the other two films, though. A little bit of a familiar right. face, you know. That even though it's not a you know, obviously it's not, it's um, no, not Richard Lester or it's not United Artists, but it's a nice familiar right. face from those earlier call. You know, to yeah. call back mm -hmm. to the two previous Beatle films. They they just loved him. I mean, they just wanted him in every movie. I mean, he was just. They they loved him for his talent, but they loved him for who he was, the person mm -hmm. that he was too. Right. I mean, everybody you talk to that has any kind of connection or any kind of experience interacting with him, I mean, and he just continued on doing things. You know, well, he Paul used him for London Town, the London Town yeah. promotional video. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so obviously, we we talked a little bit about you know it airing on Boxing Day. You know they aired it in black and white. I mean, you you wrote that you know NBC and ABC both passed on, on it after yeah after negative reviews. I'm like in the kind of camp where if you know if you read I'm uh, the book Beatleness, um, where at this point in time, you know uh, Carol Leonard, I believe her name was, she was pretty much. You know, the theory is that at this point in time, teenagers that people that grew up with the Beatles here in America, they were kind of like on their Beatle break. So, I mean, I don't know if if, if, if it would have caught on, you know, uh, caught on here, um, you know, 
any more than it would have caught it on, you know, in the UK, whether they showed it in color or black and white, you know, I mean, at the time that music was changing, it wasn't, she loves you. I want to hold your hand anymore. I mean, this no. was more sophisticated stuff. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point. And, and I think it's, it's, it's well thought out and well put. And I, I guess that what happens is to, to maybe look at it in a more sort of general way is I guess you have different people who come to the Beatles and leave the Beatles if they do choose to leave at different times. Mm -hmm. And then you have some people who sort of start from the beginning and maybe go all the way through, you know? Mm -hmm. so, I, so I think, I think it's an audience that is always like any, any popular phenomenon of any, any era. I think you have different audiences at different times. I mean, how many people are of the mind of they're into the group when a certain group or artists, when they're cool and underground. And then as soon as they become commercial, oh, I don't want any part. I'm done with that. Right. Yeah. Now, too, too or popular, the yeah. people that have no idea who somebody is until they're all over the charts. They have no idea where they came from. They have no idea where right. they start. And I think you have some musical artists on the other hand, who start off, really pop oriented and then become really artistic and creative or vice versa. So, you know, this is, mm. this is kind of all over the place. I mean, the Beatles are sort of the first to sort of set this template of starting off as this popular entertainment commodity almost that breaks the mold right. of everything, but then artistically continues to grow and create and set the template for, you know, almost everything. I mean, albums are not a thing really until Sgt. Pepper comes along. I mean, there's plenty of albums that we can talk about that came out before Sgt. Pepper, including obviously Rubber Soul and Revolver, that are albums, quote unquote. But Pepper becomes the moment, as, as the two of you know, where the album becomes this art form. It's this thing. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly everybody who wants to, be make really creative interesting music this is this is it you want to make the next pepper or you want to make something that isn't just a collection of singles and filler you know you want to make something that is a grand statement you know and and we get these we get these records they they happen and they continue to happen through the 70s you know we get you know dark side of the moon you know we get tapestry we get you know, Asia by Steely Dan. We, you know, we get oh, right. degrees by Boss Gags. You know, even Frampton Comes Alive. I mean, it's a double live album, but it becomes one of these things, you know, rumors, you know, uh, I, I mean, it's just right. starts with, it starts with Pepper. But like I said, you have things that are already these, these concept, conceptual pieces or albums that are truly artworks and not just the collection of singles and filler. Yeah, good point. The The film itself, I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, is it still, I mean, did the Beatles still boob, uh, as as uh, they said in what, Daily Mirror, I think it was, uh, the Beatles boob, or, or Paul says, so we boobed. Um, I mean, look at it, looking back at it now, where do you, where do you, put it in its place in, in the Beatles film, uh, you know, film wise? Um, you know, I mean, obviously it is of its time, right? I mean, it is, I mean, we can say, can we say it's dated, uh, if oh, you will? Yeah. I mean, sure. If you want to say that, I mean, you know, 
I, I to me, I watch it, and you know, obviously, I went back and rewatched it, and it's, you know, you, you have to look view it in the context of what it is. If you're going right. to view it in the context of the Sgt. Pepper album, then yeah, you're you're going to have a lot of criticism. You know, I I also think what happens with artists sometimes, and I think this is the case very much. I mentioned Prince before, with people like Prince, Neil Young, is yeah. I think they have to make certain records, you know, or do projects that the general public or the critics kind of trash, but they need to do that as artists to get to whatever the next place is, you know, where they're not just thinking in terms of the career or in terms of the commercial aspects, like, you yeah. know. They need to, you know, they need to do certain, you know, Neil Young needed to do, you know, tonight's the night, you know, right. or, or, or whatever, you know, to get mm -hmm. to the next place, you know, Prince needed mm -hmm. to do certain songs or albums to get to, you know, these are people that get up every day and they're just writing songs from, you know, yeah. breakfast, you know, until it's time to go to sleep. <laughs> Neil, Neil Young just continues to, you know, oh, it's amazing. Up. But he keeps doing new things. But he keeps putting out new albums. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's archive stuff and and new stuff. I mean, you can say the same thing for for Paul in a way too. I mean, he's still creating. I mean, not not on the not on the level that Neil Young uh, is is seems to be turning stuff out. And even Elton John was was putting stuff out at a at a quick pace here on the the later half of his career. Um, you know, Prince when he was still with us. I mean, the stuff that he was putting out. Uh, you know, are turning out at a, you know, at the fast pace. I mean, you know, re writing, recording, you know, one, two, three songs a day, you know, that's unheard yeah. of. You know? I mean, Van Morrison right now is just, yeah, on he's not a creative, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just extraordinary. I mean, they just, yeah. th there's no, like, they don't see, there's, to them, there's no end to this. You know, there's no farewell tour, you know. I mean, you know, I think Eric Clapton just, he does not want to come off the road right now. He just he just sees no good in coming off the road. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Dylan, you know, too. I mean, there's yeah. I just no saw Bob Dylan. I just saw Bob Dylan two weeks ago. How was he? Fantastic. I'll bet. <laughs> I, I saw Dylan many times. I saw him back by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at Madison Square Garden. There you and go. About six songs into the concert, they started playing the vamp of Like a Rolling Stone, and Ron Wood walked on the stage. Wow. Jammed with them for the rest of the show. Unreal. Wow. Holy uh, cow. That's a, that's an experience. Yeah. Steve, tell everybody where they can uh, find a copy of Act Naturally, The Beatles on film, and uh, and also, you know, plug what else you've got coming up, appearances, and, and all that stuff. Okay. Well, obviously, it's it's available on Amazon for everybody in the world, on the planet Earth, and maybe certain planets we don't even know about. <laughs> so you can easily just go there and click, and it'll be at your house tomorrow if you're an Amazon right. member. <laughs> but, you know, Barnes & Noble stores have it there. Websites have it. Uh, a lot of independent bookstores have it. I know. I know that for a fact. A lot of record stores um, have it stocked too. Uh, you know, you go to like I believe not every store for sure, but you know the Rough Trades and Amoebas and you know the you know places like that. I imagine that they have it and um, uh, Newberry Comics. I mean, it's it's. Right. There. I mean, you can find it. You know, wherever you go, they don't have it. Just tell them to order it. And, and I'm sure you'll get it. I mean, I'm, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of promotion for the book. I mean, I've been doing a lot of podcasts and radio right. interviews. I've been on Sirius XM a couple of times. 
Uh, I've been doing, you know, a lot of YouTube things. Uh, I've done some, you know, print and online interviews. Uh, I did a, a screening at a, uh, the Cinema Arts Center in Huntington in New York of A Hard Day's Night, where I myself and another guy introduced it. We showed the film, and then I answered questions. It was sold out, not because I was there, but because A Hard Day's Night was being shown on the big screen. And people just kept asking questions. I mean, they literally had to shut it down. And, and, and again, not because of me, but because people just are so in, interested in the Beatles and the movies. And I don't know how many people came up to me or the people that ran the theater after and said, so you're going to show help next? <laughs> no. so, you know, um, I, I did go to London and um, I, did a, I did an appearance there at a club where they had a couple of uh, other musicians playing Beatles music. And I was interviewed there. Um, I met with the British Film Institute. We may do something there next summer. Um, you know, I just, people are just interested in the Beatles. And it's, right. you know, when when they want to do things, I know it doesn't matter if it's Steve or if it's, you know, you know Ray Connolly or whoever. It doesn't matter. It's just people are just endlessly fascinated. They're, drawn, they're just drawn to it. Yeah. Right. And we've got this 60th anniversary coming up. I did the I did the fest in Chicago. I will be at the big 60th You're anniversary. Gonna be at the, were you okay, there? This special, were you there? You were in Chicago. I was in Chicago. They put me all the way in the back because they didn't want to scare any children if any children show. I didn't. Our paths did. I was there, and our paths. I, I was so far in the back. I I don't, I don't know why. I I could have been right. invisible, but that that's okay. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> all, were you in a room? Myself. What so, was that? I, I had a big area all to myself. I don't know why, but was that near the Apple Jam stage? No, I was in the author's room. Is where I was. Oh, okay. Oh, we're... on a couple of panels, and um, got to meet some people for the first time, and some people uh, you know that I that I've known for you know all these years, and um, I got to see my friend Billy J. Kramer. Yeah. Seen in a while. He used to actually live here on Long Island, and he I've did? known him for. I've known him for almost as long as I'm married. I, I, you know, I mean, I've known Billy for, you know, decades. So it was great yeah. to see. Oh, wow. Too bad our parents didn't cross out there in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. I mean, there's, oh. there's things I wanted to do and people I wanted to see. I mean, we got out to Chicago out of the fest a little bit. And in London, yeah. I did a lot. We went to the, the, the McCartney photo exhibit at the National Portrait Gallery. Yeah. As I, okay. We Abbey Road. You know, we, we did some other beatle kind of things, other music kind of things. And, um, you know, so I'll, I'll be continuing to do things. And um, I always love being interviewed by folks like you who know so much more about the Beatles than I do, for sure. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Whatever. We but all, anyways, we all, know, we all know our stuff. Yeah, we know what we know. But uh, you're going to be at the Fest in February. If you have a copy, bring it along. Steve can sign it if you want it. I'm sure you're going to have copies there to, yes. uh, to for them to purchase as well. There are thousands of copies of the book there. I, hopefully, we'll have enough for everybody. Thousands! Wow, that's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Talk about ambitious. Look yeah. at Womack. <laughs> joke, I guess, huh? Yeah. I got it. I got it. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I really enjoyed you know reading uh, reading this. I mean, thank you. I mean, it was really cool reading the help uh, section early. Uh, I was glad I could you know thank assist you. or or. 
you know, help you with that. But the Magical Mystery Tour really learned not because again, like we talked about, it's not just the films. It's it's the that the time, it's the era, it's those years, it's you know, it's the films of those years, it's whatever that they were, you know, inhaling or injecting or <laughs> whatever. Well hopefully they weren't injecting anything, not yet anyway. You know, <laughs> right? But uh, but anyway, really enjoyable book, and I think everybody should check it out, especially if you love the films. You want to check out Act Naturally, uh, the Beatles, the Beatles on film. Steve, thank you very much for for joining us. This was a real pleasure to talk about Magical Mystery Tour uh, with you, and uh, look forward to seeing you in February. Yes, in February. And the, by the way, the book makes a wonderful Christmas gift. By the way, there you go. Thank you, Steve. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for sending yeah. it. All right. Thanks yeah. a lot. Been great. Yeah. So hold on, don't don't go anywhere yet. But uh, Andy, anything you want to uh, plug uh, before? I mean, you just did an episode, right? With uh, with uh, our front of me. Yeah. Well, I did on my own channel. Yeah. I little did a, did a show yeah. on Pete Townsend solo album Empty Glass from 1980. Wow. With, yeah. Um, with I used Sam to work Wiles. for. You like Pete Townsend too? Steve? I used to work for Pete Townsend. Oh, oh when really? He, when he had his when he had his book publishing company. He had an office in New York. Um, in the late seventies. And I, I, I worked there. I mean, I literally was like the T boy, you know, the, the office. Wow. Yeah. It's a long story how it happened. But, and, and then when the office closed, I used to, Pete wanted tapes of New York radio again, before the internet. And I would make tapes. You mentioned WNEW FM. I would make tapes and send it to him and where he lived in, in England. And every time the who would play in New York or he would play, I would go, to the show i go backstage and get to you know cp oh man that's awesome yeah i'm a huge who fan you me too, me, me too. i'm working on my co-host there but i'm trying to convince him to listen to this album he hasn't heard it yet so that's yeah. that's a great i saw that i saw the psychoderelic tour where he did psychoderelic straight through in 93 yeah and it was at jones beach yeah yeah mm. uh, yeah, so yeah, the solo albums are are you know extraordinary. Yeah, I'm a huge Townsend fan, huge you know huge Who fan. I mean, you know, the, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Who, the Kinks. I mean, that yeah. that's the four top. You know, that's, that's it, man. You know, yeah, I, I, that's I, it. Off so. one to Ray Davies in an interview, and said, "Yeah, I get that. That's the order." <laughs> I, I said, sorry it's it the is. mount rushmore of, of the beetle or the british invasion right there yeah, I, I, I you could put the Yardbirds yeah. and pink floyd in there and yeah they can, clean, then, yeah. They can clean mount rushmore but they're not going to be on it right cream <laughs> right. <laughs> right anyways and check that out on andy's uh other channel for for me talk more talk we just had ken womack and gary evans on uh you can check that out and we are going to be having our last episode of the year uh coming on i think we're going to do some kind of band on the run denny lane uh type uh tribute uh as we, as we didn't mention at the beginning we, we we know that denny lane's uh passing but we're going to uh uh you know do a you know a proper tribute here coming soon on that thank you everybody that's been subscribing to our youtube channel two legs a paul mccartney podcast we really appreciate all the new subscribers and all the ones that have been with us for 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 many years uh, now, so thank you and, and for watching and leaving all your comments. You can email us at twolegspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Two Legs. And, uh, and that's going to do it for us. So thank you again, Steve. Really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, finally, happy we, we made the time to, to get you on. Andy, uh, you know, we text every day, and I'm sure <laughs> that won't end anytime soon. And no. um, as, as always, everybody out there, have a great day and a beautiful night. Take care, everyone.
Happy Christmas. Tom Hunyadi and Andy Nichols, with musical contributions by Dylan.